So this morning, I am finishing up the sermon series I was doing this summer entitled Meeting Jesus, looking at various interactions that people had with Jesus in the Gospel of John so we can hopefully understand better what it means to know and follow Jesus. And last week we were in uh, John 21 looking at Jesus' interaction with Peter after the resurrection. We're also going to be looking this morning at another interaction that the resurrected Jesus had, this time with Thomas, commonly known as Doubting Thomas. Unfair name for him, but let's read John 20, verses 24 to 31. I'm going to read this for you. Now, Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting. And believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is God's word. So Jesus has come, he's lived the perfect life, he's died a sacrificial death on the cross in our place, he's crucified, everyone thinks it's over, and then three days later he rises from the dead as he had prophesied, as he had predicted. He rises from the dead, first to witness him are some of the women at the tomb, including uh, Mary Magdalene, they run, they tell the disciples, and then Jesus goes and appears to the disciples, but it says here that Thomas, one of the disciples, was not there. And so he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. In other words, unless I experience Jesus for myself, I don't believe that he actually rose from the dead. And even though he's called Doubting Thomas, it's kind of a bad rap, right? Because all he's basically saying is, I'm not going to live on secondhand faith. I'm not going to live on the testimony of someone else. I want to experience Jesus myself. I'm not just going to go based on what other people have said. Jesus graciously comes to him and he says, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. Basically this morning, I just want to use this interaction, this brief interaction to talk about doubt and faith and, and share three things from this passage that I think are important about doubt. The first is this, bring your doubts and questions to God. You know, you might think about doubt as being on a continuum with two extremes. On one end, doubt is not allowed. Questions are not welcome. That's one extreme. Some of you maybe grew up in a church like that or grew up in a family like that where you had doubts, you had questions, but you got the strong sense that you were not allowed to voice them. Or maybe you have this opinion of God and view of God where, you know what, I'm just supposed to believe blindly, and if I have questions or doubts, I just need to shove them down because it would be offensive to God if I were to voice my doubts and voice my questions. And certainly some have that perception. I listen to enough people out in the world who have that perception of the church. Oh, you know, churches are places where you're not allowed to question. You just have to blindly believe what they tell you. That's one end of the continuum. You know, one end of the continuum is where doubts and questions are not 
allowed. The other end of the continuum would be where people live as if doubt is a virtue in and of itself. You know? Hey, I don't know. I don't know whether there's a God or not. I don't know whether Christianity is true or not, whether Islam's true or not, whether Judaism is true or not. And I'm just comfortable living in that place of just not knowing. You know, I'm just comfortable being agnostic about it all. Maybe I'll figure it out when I die, you know? I guess when I die, then I'll figure out if I was right or what, what the truth was. That's the other extreme, seeing doubt as a virtue, you know? I doubt, I don't understand, I have questions, but you know what? I'm not really interested in finding the solutions if they present themselves great, but, you know, I'm comfortable living in a place of doubt. That's the two ends of the extreme that I would encourage neither of you to live on. One end that just says, I'm not allowed to doubt, I'm not allowed to question. The other end that says, eh, doubt's a good place to be. I'm just going to live in a place of doubt and not knowing. Jesus is not on either extreme. Thomas has doubts, and he doesn't tell Thomas, you're not allowed to doubt, Thomas. How dare you? You know, he doesn't call him out as a sinner for having doubts. On the other hand, he doesn't let him stay in a place of doubt. He reveals himself, and he says, stop doubting and believe. He leads him to a place of faith. So I want to encourage you this morning to please, first and foremost, be honest about your doubts and your questions. I hope you know, especially those of you maybe who are younger, that you are welcome to ask any doubts, to voice any doubts or to ask any questions. You know, some of them might be uh, intellectual questions. You know, maybe like, uh, why does God let people suffer? Or you read the Bible and you're like, Am I really supposed to believe that there was such a thing as Noah in the ark, you know, or a talking snake? Some questions might be theological questions, like not, I, I don't understand how God can allow there to be a hell that people go to. Or how can God be in control but also give us free will? You know, there, there's some theological questions people might have. Or it just might be experiential questions. Why did God let my loved one die? How can he let these hurricanes happen? You know, some questions, some doubts are experiential. They just come out of your life. You don't understand what God is up to, why he allows things to happen. And some of you might feel like because you're on this end of the extreme or that's how you were raised, you know, I just can't, I can't raise them. I can't voice them. You know, God will be offended. I just need to stuff them down. But I want to encourage you to raise your doubts, to ask your questions. First and foremost, bring them to God. And secondly, bring them to someone you trust, someone who knows God. Bring them to a parent or to a pastor. There are, reference, there are, there are some resources online. Uh, you can ask if you, have, if you want to know what those are. One, for example, apologetics315.com is a great kind of you know, compilation of all kinds of apologetics things on every single question you might have, apologetics315.com. I encourage you, again, do not stuff down doubts and questions, but ask them raise them. And do not stay in a place of doubt. Do not stay in a place of, I just don't know. But seek God. Seek out the answers. Remember what Jesus said. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks find, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Take that to heart. Jesus says, come, ask, seek, knock with your questions. If you want to know me, come, and you will find. So that's the first thing I want to encourage you with. Bring your doubts and questions to God. Just like Thomas was not just, well, I guess I better believe because everyone else believes. No, I don't believe because I haven't seen Jesus for myself. Bring your doubts and questions to God. Secondly, don't be afraid to wrestle with God. 
Don't be afraid to wrestle, to struggle, to argue, to, to try to figure it out, contend with God. This goes back to the Old Testament. There was a story about a man named Jacob. Some of you may have heard of him. Abraham had a son, Isaac and Rebekah, and they had a son, Jacob, and, and another son, Esau. And Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, was, even though there was a prophecy over him in the womb saying that he was going to be the child of promise, the one through whom the Messiah would come, he had a hard time believing that, and his mother and father, they had a hard time believing it as well. And he lived his life as this scoundrel, cheating his way through life, never just receiving what God had promised, but always trying to make it happen, trying to grab the blessings that God had promised. And then there comes this time where he's coming back to meet his brother Esau, who he's cheated out. He's afraid Esau wants to kill him. And he has this, this vision or this experience that I want to read to you, Jacob, uh, from Genesis 32, 24 to 31. Jacob was alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. So this man, Jacob, God changes his name to Israel. And you know what Israel means? Israel means one who struggles or wrestles with God. Isn't that an incredible definition? For Israel, the people of God, the chosen people of God, what does it mean, Israel? It means those who struggle and wrestle with God. He said to Jacob, your name will be Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. If that's what God defines the people of God as, you know, as those who struggle with God, how much more so should that be true of us? That it's okay to struggle, to wrestle, to doubt. This is not smooth sailing, is it? Has anyone had a smooth sailing life? As a follower of Jesus, anyone? No. You know? I know there's all kinds of people out there who try to teach that, songs out there you sing, and you sing these songs, you think it should just be like peace, love, and joy from the day I accept Christ to the day I die. But this is more true to the case. This is what it means to follow Jesus, is to be someone who struggles, who wrestles with God. Not understanding what he's up to, why he allows things to happen, what his plan, what his vision is. That's who we are. You read the Bible honestly, and you see how full of doubt and questions it is. Have you ever really read the Psalms and looked at them? I mean, I'll just put one as an example, the opening of Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? That's not someone who's just blindly accepting and walking, you know what, God, you must have a plan. This is someone who begins by pouring out his heart. I don't get it, God. What are you up to? Why does it seem like you've left me and abandoned me? Why am I so sad? Why won't you lift me out of this depression and this despair? Psalm after psalm begins in a place like this of just not understanding what God is up to. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's someone who struggles and wrestles with God. 
not understanding why he allows things, not understanding what he's up to, but hanging on to him. Just like Jacob hung on to that man and said he wrestled with him till daybreak and I will not let you go until you bless me. Sometimes that is what the life of faith is. It is just hanging on to God for blessing. Even when he hits our hip and knocks us out and we walk with a limp the rest of our life. Again, I encourage you, please, be honest with your doubts. Be honest with your questions. This is a church where you are welcome to ask anything, to bring up any doubts, any questions. Because what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to be someone who wrestles with God, struggles, contends, trying to understand what does it mean to know you, to follow you, just hanging on to him. But I encourage you not to stay there, but the third thing I encourage you is this. Put your faith in the crucified and risen Christ. Not just in God, but the crucified and risen Christ. Go back again to verse 27. Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas doubts that Jesus has risen, and Jesus in return shows him his scars. This is the scars where the nails went through. Reach out and touch them. My side where the spear was thrust when I was on that cross. Put your hand there. Stop doubting and believe. I mean, one of the challenges with doubt is that unless Jesus reveals himself to us, unless God reveals himself to us, you know, we're going to stay in a place of doubt, of not knowing. But I encourage you this morning, not just to go to God as some, you know, generic God, but to come to the crucified and risen Christ, the one whose nails had nail prints in his hands, the spear in his side, the one who died for your sins. Because so often doubts and questions come because we just don't understand where God is, what he is up to. But the cross shows us where God is, right? The cross shows us what Jesus was up to. I often say that God never seemed more absent and more unloving than he did on that day when the innocent son of God was hanging on that cross. Can you imagine being the disciples, looking up and saying, where is God? How could any loving father allow his innocent son to die on the cross like this, an unjust death? God never seemed more absent or more unloving than he did on that day. And now we look back and what do we see? That God was never more present or loving than he was on that day, right? From our earthly eyes, he appeared absent and unloving, but he was never more present and loving than he was because that was the eternal son of God dying on the cross for our sins to pay the penalty that we deserve to bring us back to relationship with him. The supreme act of love in all of human history, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. God was never more present and more loving than he was that day, even though from our perspective, he seemed so absent and unloving. And I encourage you to hold on to that because there are gonna be times in your life where God seems absent, where God seems unloving, and you just don't understand where he is or what he is up to. And I encourage you, again, bring those doubts, bring those questions to the crucified and risen Christ. See him again on that cross. Remember that when God seems absent, when he seems unloving, it's not because he is. He's always present. He's always working for good because he loves you. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
again, doubting Thomas as he's come to be known, it's kind of a, a tough name to have because all he was doing was not living on the secondhand faith of the other disciples. He wanted to know God for himself. He wanted to know that Jesus had risen from the dead with his own eyes. Again, I encourage you, especially those of you who are younger in here, at some point, it's got to become your own faith. And this morning, we have two young women who are being baptized who are saying, it's my faith now. It's not just my parents' faith. It's my faith. Because that's Thomas's example. I'm not just going to believe because they say it happened. I want to know Christ myself. I want to know God myself. And if you are here this morning, you say, what, you know, I, I believe because my parents believe I believe because the pastor believes. I believe because other people believe. But I don't necessarily know for myself. Please, I encourage you this morning to come to Jesus, to put your faith in him, to ask him to reveal himself to you, that you might know the crucified and risen Christ, the love of God displayed on the cross. Because what happened after Thomas experienced Jesus? He fell down. He said, my Lord and my God, He worshiped him. And Jesus didn't say, no, 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 don't worship me. Only worship God. He received his worship because Jesus is God, the eternal son of God, my Lord and my God. And the chapter ends with this purpose statement that John gives in writing this gospel. These are written. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This morning, bring your doubts, bring your questions to God. He is big enough, he is not offended. And all who seek will find. And even when you don't understand what he's up to, when he seems absent, unloving, remember Jesus on the cross dying for your sins. He's always present. He's always working for good. He always loves you. If you don't know Jesus yourself, If you've been riding on the coattails of someone else's faith, I encourage you to come to him this morning. You can pray along with me this prayer. Jesus, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. I believe that in you is found eternal life, life to the full. I believe that apart from faith in you, I will die in my sins, separated from God for all eternity. But I believe that you love me so much that you died on the cross in my place taking the penalty for my sin, and that you rose from the grave conquering death. I turn from my sinful, self-centered way of life, and I believe in you as my Savior and Lord. Amen.